Welcome back to Community Conversations. I'm your host, Josh Hardy, Executive Director of Conquer TV. And if you like storytelling, whether it be listening or telling stories, I think you're really going to enjoy this. I know Matt did, I know I did. Um, this is different than our usual community conversations where we're gonna learn about the Central New Hampshire Storytelling Guild, but they're not just gonna tell about their organization, they're going to tell some of their favorite stories. So I hope you enjoy, and let's get started. The Telebration Proclamation. In the name of storytelling, the National Storytelling Network and the Central New Hampshire Storytelling Guild are proud to sponsor Telebration. Today is hereby proclaimed to be Telebration, the worldwide event of storytelling. At this very moment, across six continents in 40 states and nine countries, from Sacramento to Savannah, from Boise to Barcelona, West Virginia to West Indies, Kalamazoo to Concord, New Hampshire, to listeners everywhere, over 300 audiences are gathered for this spectacular storytelling event. Without further delay, in joy and in anticipation, let the stories begin. This story comes from the Seneca Nation, whose people used to live in the territories that are now northeastern United States and southeastern Canada. It is a story that explains why stories are important. And I got the retelling from three different sources. Stone story. There was a boy who lived in the village. He was an orphan. He lived by himself, alone. No one in his village wanted to take him into their lodge because he might bring with him the sickness that had killed his parents. So they pretty much left him to take care of himself. And he did the best he could his father had made a bow and arrow for him and he would hunt for his food. He was a good hunter. It could have been because his mother had told him to always leave a small gift behind for the animal spirits and he always did that because he had loved his mother so dearly. It could have been because he was so hungry all the time. And when he brought his game back, he would trade it for other things. And the villagers would allow him in return for birds, rabbits, deer, whatever he might have caught, they would allow him in return 
some of their cast-off clothing. I don't know why they wouldn't give him equal value, but it might have been that they felt that perhaps if they ignored him and didn't give him as much as they should, he would just go away and they wouldn't have to worry about him any longer. The boy felt so alone. He couldn't talk to anyone because they would either ignore him or make fun of him. He wasn't very clean. He didn't really know how to do much beyond hunting. And one day he said to himself, I'm leaving. This village is not my village any longer. I will go to another place. Maybe I will find a place that is mine. And he started walking. He walked for days and days. Finally, he came to a place and stopped. He looked around. He was in a clearing, scented by a large stone. It was huge. It just went up so high. And the boy said to himself, this is as good a place as any. And a short distance from the rock, he built a small fire. He hoped that the heat from the fire would be absorbed into the stone in back of him and keep him warm through the coming night. And because he was alone, he noticed how quiet it was, how silent the woods were. And as he stared into the fire, he just became overwhelmed with longing. If only, he said out loud, if only someone would talk to me. If only, if you give me something, I will talk to you. He looked around. Where was that voice coming from? It seemed to come up from the depths of the earth. He couldn't see anyone, and then he thought perhaps he had imagined it. If you give me something, I will talk to you. He realized that the voice was coming from the very large stone directly in back of him. He wasn't as surprised as you might think, for he had always known that beyond his small village into the world there were amazing things that he had never seen, that no one had ever seen. He felt compelled to do as the voice asked him to do. And he reached into his pouch and withdrew some tobacco and standing on his toes as high as he possibly could, he put the pinch of tobacco on the very top of this very large stone and said, this is for you, grandfather, because that is how he showed respect to an elder. And this was obviously 
a very old stone. The stone began talking as if everything had been pent up inside of him for years and eons and ages and now was the stone's chance to tell the story of creation as he himself had seen it, as he himself had been part of it. He told the boy night after night a different story and every time after he heard the story the boy would thank him and leave him a small gift. The boy learned how the world was made and how the creatures of the world came to be on it and why they were on it, whether they were fish or birds or the deer in the field, they all had a place. And he learned how the people had traveled from the stars down to this beautiful garden and were there to take care of it and to be one with it. When the stone came to the end of his stories, the boy thanked him again and he said, what happens now? And the stone, who had tired himself out, said slowly, go back to your people, go back to your village. Tell them what I have told you. You will teach them. But remember, for every story you tell, you receive a gift. For we all know that anything that is free soon becomes seen as worthless. The boy went back, no longer an unwanted orphan no longer bringing game to share. He sat at the campfire as if he belonged there. And the people looked at him. They knew something was different. And he said, if you give me something, I will tell you a story. This is a story that comes from old Hawaii legends book, and it's been inspired by that. Every culture has a Pied Piper, and Hawaii is no different. Hawaii at that time had many kings for many different places. This one particular king was spoiled, selfish, and mean, and the townspeople didn't like him because every time they had something that was wonderful or nice, the king took it. He had the best spear, he had the best surfboard, he had the best of everything. And he would put it outside and he would sit with it and flaunt it and look at all his possessions. And the townspeople continued to work hard and they did not like their king very much. Well, one day the king decided that he wanted to have the best and most colorful cape there ever was. So he called his bird catchers to him and he explained to the bird catchers exactly what he wanted them to do. And the bird catchers thought, well, you know, we can, we can do this, we'll, we'll go off. So they went out and they searched high and low 
around, up and down every trail. They even climbed a mountain or two. They could find no birds, none. And they huddled around looking at each other. No one wanted to go back and tell the king they couldn't find what they needed. No one, because they knew what the king was going to say, and they didn't want to hear it. Well, as they talked about what it is that they wanted to do, they heard a strange sound, and a man came around the corner with birds flying all around his head, playing a magical stick. sound and the most colorful birds that landed on his arms and on his head. It was fantastic, but the bird catchers were a little frightened and then they were excited and they started to yell and explain to the this piper person with the magical stick of, and the birds got so frightened they flew away. And the piper said, if you want the birds to come back, you have to speak more softly. And they said, oh, well, how do, how do we get them back? And he says, well, I can get them to come back just by playing my, my magical stick. But what is the problem? Well, we looked for birds, and our king, he wants to have the most beautiful, colorful cape, and we were supposed to bring back birds, and we couldn't find birds, and nobody wants to go and tell him that he can't have the birds. And the Pied Piper said, well, I'll go with you. We'll go down the trail, we'll go see the king, and I'll tell him. So they began to walk down the trail. Pretty soon, they were walking quickly. And the next thing you know, they were dancing down the trail. they danced so fast they arrived in front of the king laughing and dancing and the Pied Piper was still playing his music. And the king saw no birds. He saw his bird catchers dancing and joyful with no birds. Finally the music stopped and the dancing stopped and the Pied Piper told the king I can bring you what you want, but I want your best spear. And the king looked at him and said, what are you talking about? And the piper began to play. And the king began to sing. And he sang, and his voice was wonderful, and the townspeople stopped what they were doing and came and stood around their king, and they were shocked and excited, and there was love in their eyes. His voice was like an angel. And then the piper stopped playing, and the king stopped singing, and he looked around a little startled to see all of his townspeople looking at him with kind in their eyes. 
And he looked at the piper and he said, you can bring me what I want, all the most colorful birds. And the piper said, of course I can. He said, all right. He instructed the townspeople to build a ton of cages, and I mean a lot of cages. And the townspeople did just that. But while they were doing that, the Pied Piper walked away. Soon he arrived back at the king, in front of the king, and the cages were all done. And the king said, well, we've done what you needed. Now bring us the birds. So the piper began to play his magical stick. And the birds arrived and they swirled around his head and they landed on his arms and the townspeople quickly took the birds and put them all into the cages. And the piper said to the king, I've done what you asked. Now I want your best spear. And the king said, well, I have what I want. I'm not giving you my spear. And the piper said, hmm, okay. Well, the townspeople were horrified that the king was breaking his word. And the piper began to play, and the people began to dance and dance and dance. And they danced and they danced and they danced and they danced until they dropped from exhaustion and fell asleep. And when everyone was asleep, the piper stopped playing, and he opened all the cages, and he let all the birds go. And then he left as well. When the townspeople woke up and the king woke up, they looked at their king in disdain, and they walked away just shaking their heads. Well, the king was left to sit with his best surfboard and his best spear, and the townspeople now looking at him once again with anger. And that, but he thought about when he was singing. When he was singing, they looked at him with kindness. And he thought about that for a few minutes. And little by slow, he returned all the special gifts that he had taken and given them back to all the townspeople. Then the kingdom became kind. The people became kind, and they actually liked their king. Kindness had returned. Once upon a time, a young pheasant hen stepped cautiously out of a bush, looking all around. And then she smelled something strange and exotic. It was the alluring fragrance of motor oil and exhaust. She was a beautiful young pheasant hen with golden speckles cascading down her back, and her name was Chick. 
That morning, she was out on an adventure. She was looking for love in all the wrong places. She was looking for a man, but not just any man. No, she'd had it with all those male pheasants she'd ever met. They were too showy, too proud, too cocksure of themselves. They were just a bunch of pretty boy panty waists. No, what she needed was a real man. And then she heard him. It was a deep, deep, purring rumble that thrilled her down to the very essence of her soul. A thrill like she'd never felt before. Oh, it was love at first sound. And she ran toward the sound, came to the edge of the forest, and jumped up on a, a stone wall. And then she saw him. He was slowly rumbling up a, a dirt track on the edge of a hayfield. And he was coming toward her. Oh, he was, my God, he was the most unearthly and beautiful green she'd ever seen. So she jumped off of the stone wall onto the dirt track right there in front of that gorgeous hunk of a tractor. The tractor stopped with a surprised look on its face. And they just stood there looking at each other in wonder. My God, he's so huge. Um, and he keeps making that purring, rumbling love song. And the pheasant kept bobbing up and down with her mating dance, bowing and praying to this godlike beast of a man. And they stayed looking at each other for the longest time, him idling with his purring love song, and her dancing up and down, bobbing up and down like a, for her love dance, trying to tell him how much she loved him. Oh, she wished she had a sweeter singing voice so she could sing a love song to him. But all that came out was Greek, 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 like a squeaky door. The tractor's name was John Deere, and he was small as tractors go, but he was still growing, and he was strong, so strong, much stronger than he looked. And he was proud of his strength, proud of his giant rear wheels, and of his mighty motor, a motor which he kept, his engine which he kept always oiled and uh, run, purring smoothly. When he first saw that <clears throat> pheasant jump in front of him, he was so 
shocked and amazed and stunned. She was such a beautiful young pheasant. And he was awestruck. And immediately his heart went out to that maiden who was expressing her love so, so eloquently. And they talked for the longest time. Him idling, purring smoothly, and she bobbing up and down in her mating dance. And then suddenly she ran back into the woods. Oh, she just had to tell all, everybody, what about her newfound love. But when she told her friends and family, they were not happy for her. No, they were angry at her. They, they just didn't understand. They kept yelling at her. He's not one of us. He, he's, it's unnatural. A, a love like that just never works. He's, uh, that kind of foul grease ball will uh, leave you in the lurch and, and dash your hopes. Stick to your own kind. Stick to your own kind. Oh, they would never understand. She tried to get her parents to come and meet him, but they absolutely refused. Oh, they would, would never understand, never. And so, every morning she began to secretly steal away from her family's nesting place and go out in search for her lost love, that love that made her feel like no one else. And she would listen for the sound of his purring love song. And <clears throat> some days she heard it, and uh, she would go running to him so that she could renew her vows of love with him. Oh, those were wonderful days. But there were other days when he was nowhere to be found. She couldn't hear him anywhere. And <clears throat> on those days, she would keep searching. And had, had he forgotten her? Had he abandoned her? So she kept searching on those days in wider and wider circles, listening for the sound of his rumbling love song. And sometimes on these excursions, she would be beguiled by the purring rumble of other beasts, beasts having squarer shapes and darker colors, but still having that manly smell of motor oil and exhaust, and still purring that rumbling, sexy love song. And with these new hunks, she would jump down in front of them and bob up and down in a mating dance of love, expressing her love to them. Oh. But when her family found out about these other affairs, they berated her as being a fallen pheasant. And her father even called her a horrible, shameful name, a name I can't repeat here. But 
She didn't care anymore. She couldn't stop. She, she just had to keep going, searching for that love like no other that made her feel like nothing else. And so she kept on going every day, looking, until one day she came to the edge of a forest by the uh, black, wide black road on a hill. And then she heard the most gorgeous, rumbling, sexy purring that she had ever heard. And so she stepped out on the road and looked up and up and up and saw a giant dump truck coming so fast, so fast. Thus, <clears throat> thus ends the story, the tragic story of a pheasant who fell in love with a tractor. And let that be a lesson to all you young pheasants. A relationship like that always, always, always ends badly. So I'm joined by Ruth Niven, and she's from the Central New Hampshire Storytelling Guild. Thank you, Ruth, for joining us and uh, for all the stories that your group has shared with us. Um, tell us a little bit more about the organization. Well, first, you have to understand that when we speak of storytelling, we're telling stories. We're not reading stories. And that is a big distinction because someone can read a story and they can put a lot into it and many readers do put in their own interjections and they make voices and they add things and take them away as they see fit. But when you're a storyteller, the words come from inside of you. Um, how the words came to be depends on whether you like to tell stories that are true or stories that are a little maybe a little hazy on the truth. This is a group that meets, what was it, it meets once a month. Could you tell us more about the group and sort of, uh, um, of storytellers and, and kind of what your meetings are about, what the organization, I guess, mission is? Tell us a little bit more for anyone who might be interested in joining. The Central New Hampshire Storytelling Guild meets on the second Tuesday of every month. Mm -hmm. Right now, we are meeting at Horseshoe Pond Place Senior Center Library, and their meetings are from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m., and we invite any of the residents to join us, either to listen or to tell a story of their own. And we're very loosely organized. Um, you can go to every meeting faithfully. You can go to one meeting a year. Um, and it is a place where storytellers can practice a story that they may be doing at a venue mm -hmm. and ask for feedback from the storytellers in the audience or listen to other storytellers and maybe get some hints from them about how to um, respond to, um, say, criticism. Um, and it's just a safe place to be and it's a place where storytellers can kind of unwind and not 
have to be as perfect as they would like to be. They're allowed to make mistakes. Yeah, yeah. in this form, mistakes are, are okay and you learn from them and grow from them. Now I understand there were a couple folks that you wanted to acknowledge um, as part of this video. Yep. The Central New Hampshire Storytelling Guild has been around since 1997. Mm -hmm. And it's due in great part, I would say almost entirely, to Loretta Phillips, who at the time was living in Andover, New Hampshire, and George Radcliffe, who was living in Webster, New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. Because the city of Franklin was having its very first Frontier Days, which was a big deal. And they invited all the companies and city departments mm -hmm. and whoever wanted to, to come up with something to, to represent their company. And Loretta came up with a Tall Tales contest, which was amazing. There were three entries, one of which was myself. I was so scared. I trembled and I had to hold my story in my hand. I had copied it down because yeah. I didn't think I could do anything. And I told the story and again, someone helped me down from the flatbed truck so I wouldn't kill and injure myself. And I just gave such a big sigh of relief. And when I got to the bottom and I'm going, oh my God, I'm so glad that's over. A woman came up to me and said, I know you and I know your family and you have never had no sister got et by a tree. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, wow, I was hooked. And you know, Loretta made it happen. She and George put flyers and posters all around town and a month after um, Frontier Days had their first meeting of the Central New Hampshire Storytelling Guild in Franklin. And the rest is history. Yeah, the um, rest is history. Both of them have been given awards for their dedication to storytelling. There is something that is very prestigious in this area in particular. It's called the Brother Blue Award. Mm -hmm. And it was awarded the first time to George Radcliffe. And it was awarded in the last couple of years to Loretta Phillips. And we are so proud of them for what they have done and what they continue to do. That's amazing. Now, off camera, I've heard quite a bit about Telebration, um, and I thought that would be something great if you could share with our audience about what that is, what that entails, uh, a little bit more. Uh, you had shared a poster with me from 2019 of that event. Um, I think part of what we're doing in the studio here seems like a, a Telebration of sorts. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, in I believe it was 1987, a storyteller, Papa Pinkerton, who was from the southern region, thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if storytellers could get together with members of their family and community and just tell stories and acknowledge how important it is to uh, keep the oral tradition of storytelling going? Well, at this point, as we have said in our proclamation, it is celebrated around the world. And storytellers generally um, enjoy it more than almost anything because they give back to their community by doing this. The Central New Hampshire Storytelling Guild 
um, had many celebrations at NHTI library here in Concord. And what we did was, rather than charge an admission fee, was accept cash or cans, and we contributed them to the Friendly Kitchen. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Friendly Kitchen, a lot of folks familiar with them and their mission in providing meals uh, to yeah. anyone who needs it. Yeah. So um, I think with that, I think the last thing I wanted to ask you about was some of these other organizations like New Hampshire Storytelling Alliance, the Northeast Alliance. Um, Tell us just very quickly kind of about a couple of those um, statewide, nationwide alliances and mm -hmm. how folks can learn more where they can go to find that. The Central New Hampshire Storytelling Guild yeah. is a small guild to tell stories and practice storytelling. Sure. Most of the members belong to the New Hampshire Storytelling Alliance and they have a website um, and there are, I believe, five or six storytelling guilds that um, the New Hampshire Storytelling Alliance works with and promotes when they have events and so forth. And the membership, which is extremely small, contributes to the events that the New Hampshire Storytelling Alliance holds. We have a big one coming up in May of 2022 the Granite State Story Swap, which will be in Canterbury, Shaker Village. The um, next level up would be Northeast Storytelling, which is regional, obviously, for the Northeast. And they are having an event coming up in 2022 called Sharing the Fire. And the big, big one is National Storytelling Alliance. And they have a... Um, storytelling event in Jonesboro, Tennessee. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, that's a lot to keep track of there, though. But um, so you said, when is that event? The one at Shaker, you said? At it Shaker is Village? going to be? The first Saturday in May. The first Saturday, first Saturday in May. Saturday of May. Awesome. That one caught my interest a little bit there. So it we'll, is. Um, yeah. We already have a featured speaker. Yep. And Joyce, who is our event manager for NHSA, um, has spoken with him recently. It's yeah. Joseph Bruchak okay. and his son. And Joseph Bruchak is very well known, not only for his storytelling, but for his um, books that he has written that are meant to be used in schools and classrooms, explaining uh, Native American history and um, how um, myths and legends fit into cultures and so forth. That's great. So we have that to look forward to uh, in May of 2022. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Ruth, for telling us a little bit more about the Guild. And uh, I hope our audience enjoys the various stories they hear in this program and perhaps attend uh, an event for yourself. So thank you again, Ruth. Okay, thank you. Great to have you. It was great being here. Thanks. Thank you.